and get it to the second book of the Bible, which is the book of Exodus. Ek means Greek for out of. Hodas is the idea of leaving or road or way, so it's basically the way out. Or as we might say, departures. The book of Exodus. We are currently in chapter 8. We are currently in the area where you see... Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Shirley. Um, where we, we are currently in the area of plagues. And you might think, well, this is a real downer time to come and visit church. And I'd say, no way. Actually, um, there's been a really great time for introspection. It's been a great time to consider where in the world we are. Um, we've been looking at God judging the, the Egyptian gods, how each one of them is picking them off one by one as if they had been lined up for skeet shooting. And uh, God is proving himself to be two very, very important things that he's very much proving. One is that he is God Almighty. So anything else that is to be worshipped or is worshipped or is masqueraded as worth being worshipped falls very, very short. Uh, The second thing is that God is making very clear, as we'll see in our text, he's making very clear that they are his people. From the very beginning... When Moses is called, beginning, he's 80 years old at the time, when he is called to stand before Pharaoh, his message was, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That insults Pharaoh on a bunch of levels. The first of them is, he thought they were his people. Now, God had promised back in Genesis 15 that God would bring them to a nation that is not their own. And they would be there for 400 years as slaves. And then in the fourth generation, God would bring them out with much spoils, which is a bit of a riddle when you think you're going to be a slave for 400 years and then you're going to come out a very wealthy person. All your taskmasters that whipped you yesterday today are going to give you all of their gold which seems a bit strange, but God knows what he's doing. In that, Pharaoh's response is, well, who is this Lord of yours that I should obey him? And God says, well, let's just show you. Pharaoh makes the Israeli's life quite difficult. And one of the reasons God is allowing all of this is because he's very much into recognizing, us recognizing, that this is not our home. This isn't where we belong. And he doesn't want us romantically loving a place that's not our own. He wants you out. So if Pharaoh, if you think about it, had just gone, well, okay, you know, I mean, if they really want to go out and worship, that's just fine. Go ahead. You know what would happen? We would leave. We'd go on our little thing. We'd sacrifice whatever we did. We'd do our little dance. We'd sing a little song. And then we'd come back. Because after all, look how welcome the exit was. Well, God's going to burn that bridge because he doesn't want you going back. God is not interested in you sort of simply just kind of getting a quick fair weather moment out. He wants you out for good. And there's a difference between letting you out and getting you out. Pharaoh at best would let you out, but only temporary. God is going to get you out. Now, please hear me as we dive into our text here. God wants to make very clear to each of us that he isn't interested in just removal. Removing is the idea of getting you out of something. And some people, that's their life story. Their life story is that they've kind of jumped out of one bad thing and wound up in another bad thing. They've jumped out of one bad thing, they've ended up in another bad thing. One bad relationship to another, one addiction to another, one bad situation after another. And God is not interested in removal. God is interested in deliverance. And deliverance is the aspect that he's going to remove you from one place and deliver you to another. He has a set address for you to be, which we'll see when we get to Joshua. Now, I don't know how many of you like pizza. Coming originally from Chicago, pizza is a very big deal. And in, in, in Chicago, if you drop a pizza on your foot and it doesn't break a bone, it's not real Chicago pizza. That's sort of the way it works. I mean, the thing's got to be basically roughly the size of a manhole and roughly the weight of a shot put. And if it isn't, then it isn't real pizza in the size, uh, in the side of a Chicago. And the reason I say that is, imagine if you had gone to any pizza place and it says on there, free delivery. And you think, that's perfect. And you go on in and say, oh, I'd like a pepperoni pizza with extra pepperoni and extra cheese and extra whatever and none of that and a few other of these things while you're at it. Coffee grounds, fish bones, whatever you like on your pizza. And they go, well, that's great. 
And then, and then you, you, know, you say, well, well don't, don't you want my address? And they're like, why? Because you're delivering it. Oh, no, no, we're not delivering it. We're, we're, we're going to deliver it. You know, we're going to just remove it from here. And you're thinking, well, it needs to go somewhere. You're paying for it to be delivered. And in your mind, you know, deliverance is so much more than, well, it's no longer at our shop. Well, that brings me no comfort. I'm still hungry. I want my pizza. And in the same way, God wants to make clear that He's not interested in just removal. He's interested in deliverance. Our text now, as we pick it up, is in Exodus chapter 8. We're really going to pick it up in verse 20, but we'll go 19 just so as we kind of get a reference. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Verse 20. And the Lord said to Moshe, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh until he comes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they stand. Did you notice, by the way, God never said your land. He said, oh, you, your servants, your houses. But the land is not Pharaoh's. It belongs to the Lord. Psalms makes clear, all the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This land still belongs to the same guy. And that's my God. But just the same. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground in which they stand. And on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that I may know, I'm sorry, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into the land of Egypt, and the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he has commanded us, or he will command us. And Pharaoh said, If I will, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you and will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let them go. Will you pray with me, please? God, I thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to stand before your precious people today. God, people you love, that you bled and died for. People that you would rather die than live without. And God, as you've ordained in this time for us to assemble and to hear your word, Lord, profoundly speak to each one of us individually as well as corporately. Lord, I pray that you would radically, radically transform us. And God, that each one of us would personally encounter you. That your word would burst open and come alive for each of us. And God, that you would immerse me in your spirit, that I would disappear and fill me to overflowing. That God, you would through me serve each one of these individuals in a manner which I cannot humanly do. You know every speck of dust under our shoes. You know every vapor of water in our breath. You know every thought before we think it. You know every atom that we call our bodies. God, you know every need we have better than we do. No one knows us better. And oddly enough, no one loves us more. Thank you for that. So God, may we have fun, fun in your scripture today. May you redeem every second. God, take my lips, attach them to your heart. Do not let one word be spoken amiss, too much or too little. Do not let one second go idly by, nor for that matter, God, be one second beyond. But Lord, in your ordained time, redeem every second and speak now. 
Encourage the discouraged, strengthen the weak, challenge the complacent, warn those who are disobedient and rebellious, save the lost. Just don't leave us alone, God, we pray. And you know what? You told us if we ask according to your will, we have it. Could there ever be something more according to your will than this? So we lay it at your feet and just pray now, God, that you would do your work. Father, do your work in this room by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to ear here eyes to see, hearts to receive, minds to understand. Now we pray, open our understanding to your scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let them have the final say. Always, you should expect to hear me say that because this isn't about me. This is about, this is about God and you. Now, I thought I might just do this better if I could probably move, whip through them quickly here. Now, um, first of all, I don't know, so those of you who were around with the fleas thing last week, I just thought you might find this interesting. There we were at a men's conference on our way and look at what we saw, just to be reminded, by the way. So um, thank you, by the way, Micah. All right, now look at, so, so here's the idea. So, you know, if you've been sort of raised in a Christian environment, chances are this is sort of how you see it. You know, you know, Charlton Heston stands before you. I mean, Moses stands before Pharaoh, says, let my people go. You know, Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then come the flies at the door. They go and they come in whatever way is necessary. And the flies show up. Oh, I don't know what that means. Oh, OK. Well, there's a whole lot more to it than that, by the way. They made themselves at home and that's well. What's happening to my slides here? That's what it is, all right. All of my all of my slides are gone. Well, you got one. Okay. Well, here's the idea. Here are the two words, almost the words. Um, and the reason is that's actually supposed to be Hebrew and Greek. Um, here's the way that it sort of works: is that the word in the in the Greek or the Hebrew, by the way, if I were to put this in Hebrew letters, would be the word erev. Would you say erev? And Erev, by the way, is the word that they use for mixtures. And, and, and that's the word that we use for swarms. Now, notice, by the way, in your scriptures that the words of flies are in italics. Did you notice that? Now, what that means is it's not in the original text. And then, then somewhere the translators have added it to help you understand, um, really to be, give you a better understanding of this idea of swarms. And there's a reason for it. And that is about 400 B.C., when the whole thing was translated into Greek, at the command, by the way, of one of the generals of Alexander the Great after he had passed away. When that had happened, it happened in Alexandria, Egypt. So it was still in Egypt. They translated the word as kunomiyam. And then the idea of that word is the word flies. So we naturally go with flies. Now, there are three basic things that travel in swarms in the area of Egypt. And, and all those pictures are gone, aren't they? They're just dead and, and left. Okay. Well, so you're just going to have to work with me on this, and I'm really sorry. Um, the first of them is the dog fly. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the dog fly. I'll talk about that in a moment. The second is the gad fly. And the gad fly, by the way, again, I'll develop. So there's a dog and there's a gad, and egad would make a lot of sense when you recognize what you're dealing with. The third, by the way, is the scarab. And many of you are familiar with that. It's a beetle. But see, it's not just a beetle. It's a dung beetle. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the dung beetle, but there's two basic kinds. There's the kind that fly and the kind that don't. Well, the kind that don't fly don't travel in swarms. That would make sense, right? They kind of travel as a posse on the ground. Well, the ones that fly, here's the idea. They take, I don't know if you're aware of what they do. They take poo, if I could, if I could dare say, and they roll it. And they roll it into a ball and they, and they do it through their back legs. It's quite an acrobatic feat. Now, does anyone know why they do that? For two basic reasons. It's dinner. That's the first. thought you might like that. And the second is because deep in the heart of one of those balls is a larva. And so what happens is they plant, and, uh, they plant one of their little maggots, roll that little thing up, and then it comes out a full-grown dung beetle, so it's ready to roll the next one the moment it pops out. Now, the Egyptians are so blown away by watching this happen that they start to try to figure out the ways of the world by learning from animals. So what they were convinced of is that this particular beetle, that an invisible beetle of its sort, lived in the sky 
and rolled the sun across the sky the same way that you rolled, they rolled their poo on the ground. I kid you not. Now, as a result of that, and I'm not trying to pick on the Egyptian, but that's the idea. There was a god associated with that, and his, the god's name was Kefri. Now, Kefri, by the way, was the god, by the way, then, of this idea of emerging. Because, after all, babies came out of Chunks of poo, if, you, if, you, if I could dare say so. And there was such a miraculous and amazing idea that they were like, well, if we prayed to Kefri, who, by the way, was, and, and I'm sorry that we don't have the picture. It's the picture of a man with the face of a scarab. It just looked like a guy that got eaten by a giant bug is what it looks like. And there are all kinds of pictures that we have of him. When that happens... When that happens, the idea is if you prayed to him, you could figure out who you were going to become. Who was your identity? And the idea of that was like, well, what are your dreams and your aspirations? They were all associated with Kefri because after all, all you really are is a little maggot inside a chunk of poo waiting to emerge. That's the idea of Kefri. Now, I don't know how somebody could actually give a sort of self-esteem message from that, but... But in that, that was the idea. And I remind you that God is not just randomly taking down things. God is taking down every God that is worshipped in Egypt for two very specific reasons. One is he wants every Egyptian to know that he's God because he loves them too. And the second is he wants every Israeli to know that Egypt is not their home and anything that's associated with this Egypt is not to be taken with. In other words, he wants to get the Israel out of Egypt, but he also wants to get Egypt out of Israel. That's the idea. Now, if you understand that, then you kind of get the idea of what God's going for. But it's infinitely more profound because God chooses on this particular miracle, on this particular miracle, now he says, I'm going to separate. Now, that means there were three before this point that Nile had turned to, to, uh, to blood. And then there were frogs everywhere, which, by the way, appears then that the frogs had also appeared in Goshen, where the Israeli was living. And then, worse yet, lice. Remember, in the word in the Greek, ken, or Hebrew, ken, means to burrow, to dig. So that could be a flea, that could be a tick, that could be anything that basically gets under your skin. And now the problem is, is the Israelis too were suffering from those things. But God says, that's enough. And it makes perfect sense why this one is the one God says, now we're going to draw a line. And unfortunately, we have a line in the middle, which means some of you have to be in Goshen, some of you have to be out. But that doesn't mean none of you are saved here. I'm not inferring that some of you are better Christians than others just because you're not in Goshen. But let's just go Goshen. Now, so you're in Goshen, and and that's because my wife's on this side and I have to go home with her. So... I just, you know, I don't have to live with the rest of all y'all with all due respect. So, <laughs> my daughter's on the other side. That You should have you sat with your mother is what that means. Now listen, it starts again with these. And by the way, God goes in these three different phases. It's a warning, warning, and then there isn't. There's a warning, the warning, there isn't. There's a warning, a warning, and there isn't. And we've just finished the first round. There was the Nile, Pharaoh was warned. There were frogs. Pharaoh was warned. Then the lice came without warning. Now we're in our second batch of those. So we're in round two. Ding, ding, it's just begun. And God says, now I want you to go to the water. Now why the water? Why is Pharaoh going to the water? Well, there's three basic reasons. One is he's thirsty. That's the least likely. Two is he's been covered in lice for quite a while and the river seems like a smart place to go. I'm good with that. The third is, and the most common is, is because Pharaoh worships at the Nile. And Pharaoh, that's, by the way, and the idea of it's simple. Pharaoh gets his spiritual batteries recharged at the Nile. That's his idea. So it's the perfect place to meet him. And he goes there, and notice what it says. Verse 20, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. And this is fundamental. That's going to be the key thing that God's going to prove in this time. And that, by the way, leads us to a couple questions we're going to get to. And the basic first one is, whose am I? Scripture tells us that whether you know it or not, you belong to someone. You are never a free agent. You are never just somebody floating in the midst of a sea of options where you really belong to no one. Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, we were born children of wrath. We were born guilty people. Now, I should say this way. We're born with a guilty nature and we make stupid choices, very selfish, very self-inclined choices. But God knew better. Scripturally, it tells us we were children of wrath. 
We were under the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, like a remote control. And if you were the enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy, and you had a remote control on Chris, and you wanted Chris to steal, kill, you wanted to steal Chris, kill Chris, and destroy Chris, what would you do? What thoughts would you put in his head? What challenges would you make him do? Would you put something in his hand that he could drink and destroy him? Would you put something in his hand that he could smoke and it would take him away? It would take him down. Would you put thoughts in his mind that could destroy his marriage and make him a terrible father? Do you understand? That's where we were before we came to Christ. But by God's grace, Jesus took every bit of that and he crushed the remote control the moment he died on that cross. And when he did, he said, you're free now. What are you going to do? Now, beloved, the question I ask is, whose are you? And, and if I were your destroyer, the best thing I could put in your head is to make you think I'm not doing it. If I could make you think you're just doing it, you're, you've got, you're a master of your own destiny, and then I could give you enough Disney films to get you to follow your heart, then in the end of it all, what will happen is someone says, you need to submit to God, and you're like, submit to God? Why would I submit to God? I've never submitted to anyone because you're so blinded you can't even see that you submitted to someone else from the day you were born and you don't even know it. And you know what? We play roulette with the craziest of things and we think it's okay. I mean, the idea of dying from a sexually transmitted disease doesn't frighten most people these days. The idea of buying a drug from a total stranger who you know, by the way, the one thing you know is they can't be trusted. Going, well, I wonder what's in this. Well, let's just find out. Do you really think an intelligent mind thinks that way? And you say, look at God so loved you out of sheer and absolute love. He has been pursuing you, proved it at the cross and would like to give you a brand new life. He'd like to give you freedom. And you say, do I have any other options? Do you really think that's an intelligent thought? I'd rather earn it when God would rather give it. Do you really think that's an intelligent thought? Well, we have brilliant people out there. You can be brilliant and be wrong. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, when God introduced the situation to Moses, this is what he said. And go ahead and flip that. I love that sound, as long as you're not flipping to the maps or something. In 3, 7... When God was addressing the situation to Moses, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. Do you get that? For 400 years you've been slaves, but that did not mean you don't belong to him. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. And Isaiah 43, 1, it says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And I just, and I can tell you, that's the same. And I can only tell you, I can filter that through my own thinking. And in my own thinking, there are nights where I go into my children's rooms, they're sleeping, which means I have to be, I have to be two because Tay doesn't sleep until who knows when. But, uh, and I'll go in there and I'll just thank the Lord. Thank you, God, that these are my children. And there's just something about looking at them and just being overwhelmed with a humble gratitude. Like, I'm so humbled. Now, there are times when they're awake, they humble me, but that's a different story. But the, <laughs> these moments that when they're sleeping, they're angels when they're sleeping, right? And unless they're stealing my covers. And, 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 and I'm looking, I'm just going, God, thank you, because I just look at these children and I think, what an absolute gift. And the Lord keeps bringing me back to that verse in Isaiah. And he goes, how do you think I feel? And I'm thinking, Lord, can you actually give me the kind of life where you don't have to just wait till I'm sleeping to say it? And there are two things I've noticed in verse 20. If I'm going to do that check of whose I am really. Notice it says, by the way, let my people go so they may serve me. And can I say God's people serve him? Now, you could say I'm a Christian and I belong to God all I want. But let me ask you, who do you serve? 
Are you busy on serving you? Are you busy on serving the world? Are you busy on serving the enemy? Are you busy on serving the Lord? No, I'm not telling you you serve God to make him happy. I'm telling you you serve God out of the fact that you're his. That's like trying to say, look at you'll, you'll, you know, I'll tell you, you've got, a, you've got a peach pit, and you'll say, I'll tell you when you're a, you know, you prove you're a peach tree, make a peach. It's like, look at that thing needs to be planted. But when it's alive and growing and thriving, it will produce peaches because that's what they do. Service is fruit of a thriving plant. And that's just the simplest truth of it. He who is planted in the house of the Lord will thrive in the courts of our God. God had promised in Psalm 92. But God says, or else. And by the way, you never want to be on the other side of God's or else. Have you noticed that? God will steer with a feather, with a whisper, if that's what will move you. But if he has to shout, it's ugly. The idea of my people is used 220 times, nearly 10% of them, roughly 20 of those times are used in the book of Exodus. My people. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. You can have your houses. You can have your servants stop. That means that Pharaoh has servants too. God says, let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh, you have servants too. And that's going to be evident. Just because I'm serving does not mean I belong to God. Pharaoh's servants are serving. They're just serving someone else. Now, and so I start asking, What's the difference? In verse 22, he says, on that day, these flies, these swarms will prove who is who. Whose are whose. He says, on that day, I will set apart. The word is the word palach, and it literally means to make a very clear distinction or, make, or to show marvelous. Because it's, I'm going to make a distinction to show marvelous my people. The land of Goshen, Interesting, the word Goshen, by the way, means to draw near, to be intimate, to draw close. What a perfect name for a place where God is going to show himself the Lord of. And in which my people dwell. No swarms shall be there. Why? In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. This sign. The difference, the word difference for what it's worth. Pedurt is the idea of a division or redemption. Now, I'm going to put all this into clear perspective. Two very clear things God's trying to accomplish. One is, He's going to show the Israelis they're different. And here's the strange thing. God is so busy trying to make different His people. Sad part is, often His people are very busy trying to look like everyone else. And God goes, I am trying to separate you. I want the world to see. First of all, I want you to see you're different. And the more I try to be like the world, the less I see how different I am. Then I'm just like another loser. And like, no, 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 you're a different kind of loser. You're a saved loser. It's entirely different. You've lost your hell, your pain, your grief, your regret. That's what you lost at the cross. You're the best kind of loser. Oh, but, you know, but those people, I want to fit in with those people. And God says, you do not want to fit in with the morgue. That's where dead people are. You want to be the living one. Be different. I want you to be different. I want to set you apart. That's the first thing is I want you to know that you're different. The second thing is I want you to know that they're different. Because if the world doesn't know that Goshen is different, then why would they ever think we have anything to offer them they don't have? Does that make sense? And the challenge is to live a Goshen life. Now, this is where the metal, the metal hits the road. Well, if you don't have a tire, this is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> to tell what kind of driving I've done. No wonder why my brother wants to rent a car when I'm in, in the States. Um, anyways, now listen, those two types of flies, it all makes sense. The dog fly. The dog fly, also kind of known, by the way, as a stable fly. Eats flesh is what it does. Some would know it in uh, Canada, for instance, as the horsefly. You don't want them around because they take chunks of flesh out of you. You get eaten away by them. But it's worse because the ones that still live in Egypt to this day are primarily responsible for one of the major causes of blindness. Because you know the one place they like to attach to more than any other is your eyelids. Have a nice night. Now, and the worst thing about them is they are as loud as a truck when it drives by, as a lorry. 
So you hear this, and that's one. You know those kind, there are some kind of flies that they land on your arm. You're like, whoa, how did you get here? There are other kind, they're on the other side of the room and you can't even eat. You know? You're like, okay, who pulled the motorcycle into my living room? Well, that's the idea of a dog fly. A dog fly is the type of thing that when it flies in the room, you hear, but I can't imagine a cloud of these things where you can't see through them. And then them coming at you like that. I mean, there's only so many that can fit on a single eyelid. And I can't even imagine... You're like, oh! And he's like, hey, this is what's awaiting you. And look at, look at, look at, look at. This is how God wants to separate all y'all. Okay, guess what? Somewhere about right here, there's no flies. Now, any Egyptian in his right mind is moving. Let's be honest. I don't care whether you have a nice little place by the bloody lake now. You know, the Nile. That's a lovely place by the Nile. It's, really, it's been smelling like dead fish and frog, right? And it's like, ooh, Goshen's looking really nice right now. I'm moving to Goshen. Now, here's the second fly, and then we'll start putting this into perspective. The second fly, the gadfly, if you thought that was wonderful, the gadfly doesn't just take a chunk of meat. It cuts a little chunk of your meat, and it lays its babies under your skin. Yeah. Oh, you can I came to church to feel this. Now listen. They still exist. Who would like to take a trip with me to Egypt? <laughs> we'll go to Goshen. We'll stay on the boat and look at the pyramids. <laughs> look at no pyramids. Let's go to Goshen. There was there was a young lady in that we taught in secondary school. Very 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 mild. Very quiet, very meek, very studious, very academic. Um, really, really sweet girl, sweet girl, who had gone with us. We had taken, I had taken the entire senior class, it's about 17-year-old, to Central America. I mean, all kinds of fun things took place there. We caught a six-and-a-half iguana and ate it. I mean, all kinds of great things. And uh, caught a scorpion, which, by the way, if you're ever taking a shower, it is not the time to see a scorpion. I just want to let you know that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, anyways, charged by a nurse shark, you know, anyways, all kinds of fun things. Well, in all of that, she gets, she gets bit, and it's, we went to a place called the Kikaka Islands. And the Kikaka Islands, by the way, had the worst epidemic of mosquitoes in 10 years, which, by the way, I don't know about you, but I have no doubt mosquitoes were the direct result of the fall of man. And she, gets, and she's, she comes back from this thing, and she's got this horrible bump, and it's just like, oh, this is horrible. And she just, you know, it doesn't even itch. She kind of ignores it. It's on her scalp. And she winds up going to college two months later. And the first or second day of class, she sits in there and it hatches. Tens of thousands of transparent spiders crawl down her face. She's now married anyways. <laughs> she married her childhood sweetheart. I guess he had to commit to her before the spiders. Now, that's really gross, isn't it? I mean, that's disgusting. And for good reason. Wait, one of these turns us off. Let's try that one. Um, okay, follow me, follow me on this. Follow me on this. Over here. <laughs> Next week, everyone's going to sit on this side. You watch. Over here, you are being eaten away. You are being eaten away while the rest of the world watches. And you can say, I'm cool, I'm cool. But while you're being cool, little chunks of you are being pulled off. Bit by bit by bit by bit. Not giant chunks, little chunks. Are you with me on this? Notice, by the way, some of you aren't getting past that, huh? So you're like, I'm leaving, this is horrible. What kind of church is this? Now, look at this, though. Look at verse 24, because I really want to lay this out for you. In verse 24, it says, The Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into the land of Egypt. And the land was, and look at the word, corrupted. Can you say corrupted? corrupted. Now the word is shechat. And shechat, by the way, means to decay, to perish, to pollute, to ruin. Why was the land polluted? Why was the land decaying? Why was the land ruining? Because you were hosting those flies. So they could pop out of you as flies. Yeah, that's awful. Now, don't miss this. That's the reaction I want you to have, friends. Because listen, God is looking and He's trying to teach us something we could miss here. Because there's another group of people this isn't happening to. 
And the group of people this isn't happening to are His people. Do you get that? And you know, here's the strange thing. I guarantee you at that moment, there was nobody in Goshen that wanted to come over here. Would you agree? Now, by the way, God didn't say, I'll make a distinction between my people. No matter where they go, they won't get eaten. Interesting, by the way, God does make that distinction when there are witnesses. When he talks about the 144 witnesses, by the way, in Revelation, when he talks about the witnesses, by the way, in Ezekiel, he puts a seal on them so they could go out into the world and be protected. Are you with me on that? But at first he sets them apart. He goes, look, you need to know your mind before I send you out there as evidence. When I send you out there as evidence, I'm going to put such a seal on you that you don't have to worry about those things. But right now, you've got to start by learning this. You're mine. And you go, well, I, I, I don't know. My friends are at a party and they're having fun. And I don't know. I just want to be one of them. I don't want to be like left out. And I don't want to go to church because I want to feel all alone. And here's the amazing thing, right? It's like, we don't want to go to church. Where's the one place we won't feel alone so we could feel alone everywhere else because somebody didn't invite us to the party. Can I just say, we party to forget. We celebrate to remember. This is a celebration. There's a big difference. Now listen to me on this. I'm here and I'm sitting here with you guys. And all of a sudden we look over beyond Goshen. And you know what we see? We see a world of people who are getting eaten up bit by bit by bit by bit. It's a little bit of internet, porn addiction. It's a little bit of a lascivious lifestyle. It's a little bit of alcohol here and there. It's a little bit of drugs here and there. It's a little bit of greed here and there. It's a little bit of me first here and there. And if we're busy trying to look like them, we could even miss the fact that they're getting eaten up inch by inch by inch by inch. And we won't look because we're too busy thinking that they won't invite us to their party. Shame on us. We should be inviting them to Goshen. Do you see what I'm saying? But it's worse than that. It's worse than just watching people get eaten up and we won't even see it. And then it's a driving while drunk charge. And it's a charge because of some lascivious behavior. You know, and all of a sudden, all your money got spent on alcohol and you can't pay rent and you don't know what happened. And that's just another chunk out of you. That's another chunk out of you. But you know, then you start looking and you realize, man, you are hosting corruption. What a great party we had last night. What a hangover I have right now. Put those two things together. What a great time I had. And now I've been polluted because, you know, toxicate, that comes from the word toxin, which means Pollution means poison. I just dumped a bunch of poison in me and now I I threw up all night and I feel like throwing up right now. Who wants to join me? And you feel bad because you didn't come to that thing. I mean, let's just pull yourself out of, put yourself in Goshen and take a look at it. You know what that is? If we looked at it and said, that's a maggot crawling out of your skin, all of a sudden it's not as attractive now, is it? But it's amazing because you know what? The media could try to make it look, that's the prettiest maggot coming out of skin I ever saw. Ooh, that's, look at that girl and that maggot coming. Ooh. Open up this beer and look at that maggot come out of that skin. Ooh. If I open up that one, seven of them are going to jump out and maggots are, woo. And, and we're like, oh, I wish I had. No, you wish you had what? The bondage that came with that? Isn't it amazing how, well, here's the crazy thing. Do you remember what they attached to those particular flies? They attach to your eyelids so you can't even see straight. Do you think God picked that for a reason? I mean, God's not dumb. He knows how to play this game. He knows how for a Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. My eyelids are fine. I'm living in Goshen. I actually can see clearly. How you doing over there? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't look fine to me. I can't see much from my side. (laughs) Three things that are swarms. They take it out of you. That's nice. They put it in you. Oh boy. And then they wrap their babies in poo. If you come back, you will be sitting on this side. And here's the... Welcome, Marcia. You came at a good time. (laughs) Listen, beloved. Please hear me. That's the way of the world. That's waste. 
let's just put it as politely as we can, that's just waste. It's death and it's waste. That's all that is. I had an interesting experience this week I'll just share with you. As you're probably aware of some of you, that we've um, traded in our larger model for a smaller model. We've um, The dog that we once had that we realized was a moose beforehand. Um, it, grew to this, it grew to the size of a lorry for our littlest one to have something she could feel bigger than. And we were, we were shopping saddles. Um, she wound up going to a house with a very large dog as well, and they're happy as anything. So we wanted to get her something smaller, and she went for a guinea pig. Which pain? If that thing grows bigger than Ruthie, we've all got issues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's just, you know, you give me a couple of days to acclimate and that whole bit. And so we kind of put our legs as boundaries and let her kind of run around. And, and as I did that, all of a sudden, the, the guinea pig's gone. It had crawled up my pant leg, right? <laughs> right to here. And so I'm, I'm not going to have Ruthie pull out the poor little guinea pig. So I call Suzanne. Suzanne, could you, could you get this guinea pig out of my leg? Right? I mean, I'm not freaking out or anything. right? And she pulls down. She goes, oh, look, she left you a present. She had pooped in my jeans. <laughs> that was days ago. I have since changed my jeans and showered. In case any of you were wondering. But I was thinking about this text as that was happening. And I think, oh, man, God, you didn't have to bring it home so clearly. <laughs> Now, listen, listen, friends, please, please hear me. You're going to go back out there soon. I mean, this is our locker room. And here we are, and here are our X's and O's. This is the playbook. But you're going to go back out there, and you're going to feel like the minority. In this room, you're not the minority. In this room, this is, this is equal time at best. When you're getting that, think about how many hours of that you get, and you get an hour of this. You're going to go out there and they're going to try to tell you that that poo ain't poo. They're going to tell you they're not getting eaten up. They're going to tell you they're not blinded, that they see clearly. And they're going to tell you that in the end of it all, they're not hosting anything but goodness, but good times. And you've got to trust God's Word to give you insight to realize that it is not so. And you know how most of us know because we used to live over there. I wasn't born in Goshen. I wasn't raised in Goshen. And if you were, praise God. If you don't know the life outside Goshen, glory to God. Don't you tell me you don't think you have a good testimony because it's the testimony I pray my children have. Don't tell me that's not an important testimony. It's the most important one to me other than my own. But I'll tell you what. I know what it's like to lie and tell you I'm fine when I'm not. I know what it's like to try to keep up the facade and patch up those holes when inside my life is falling apart. And I'm telling you, things are good. I also know what it's like to live in Goshen, and I have no interest in moving out. You know the interesting thing? Goshen's only a holding place. It's not even the promised land. That's even better. Now I ask you, are you any different? Because God is intending to make you different. And this is the way we wrap it around with this. Pharaoh's going to volley with two compromises. And can I just say this? Pharaoh will never be interested in really letting you go. He will never look and say, you know what? This is cool. Go ahead. Pharaoh will have to be defeated and destroyed for the people to go. And can I just say, don't expect the enemy of your souls to give you permission to go and worship God. Now, I'm not going to aggrandize him and make him look like this big old tough thing. Oh, he's bigger than we are, but he's nothing compared to my landlord. How about yours? And in that, he's a deceiver. And here are his two of four compromises he offers. Interestingly enough, it seems like the second of them, Moses actually takes, but God doesn't let it go through. Verse 25. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, Go sacrifice to your God. Notice it isn't his God, and it isn't, you know, you get the idea. But notice it says, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. Now, what is the compromise saying? Stay where you are and add God to the mix. That's what he's saying. That's your first compromise. You know, that's a lot of what's called Christianity, but not in the Bible. The idea is simple. 
I'm greedy. I'll just add God in and he wants to bless any of my plans. That's what it is. There's no repentance in this particular Christianity. There's no submission. It's on my terms. It's on my way. But God had never intended to give you a better life in Egypt. God intended to get you out of Egypt to get you that better life. And let me ask you, are you still trying to be in the world and add God to it? Sooner or later, one of those two things is going to give. Because there is no fellowship between light and darkness, God makes clear. There's no fellowship between the sons of Belial and the sons of obedience. There is no fellowship there. And I, you know, if you're like out scouting the lost for the idea of who you want to date next, you're shopping in the wrong place. You need to come into Christ and get completely completed before you enter into a relationship with some great sense of need. And then that beloved, listen, Pharaoh's no dummy. He knows if you just try to play this religious game in his place, you will stay in his place. And remember, this started with Pharaoh saying, you're my servants and I have no interest in losing my workforce. So go ahead and add your religion. Be just be, you could be a little different, just a little different, but make sure that you still think you're Egyptian because as far as I'm concerned, you're my slave. You're my slave. And I'll be honest, I have no interest in that. And God doesn't either. You just want to add God? Listen, God did not become another moon to orbit my earth. God became the sun from which I revolve around. That's a different thing altogether. And if you're in that place where you really think that Christianity is just at best, well, Jesus came to serve. Look, at He came to serve by being beat to death and hang on a bloody cross naked so all your sins could be taken care of, could be paid for. Now tell me how that's a little nice servant. Because in the end of it all, God is very, very serious about making you a new creation, not just a better. And I'll say it this way. What we came from, every house was like a quarter inch plywood with no foundation. Man, people didn't know how to build a house there. It was more like a house of cards. So when you were, that's because most people kind of just stayed there for a permanent, actually for part of the time, because it was sort of a beach community. So you kind of went there on vacation, on holiday. But when people actually want to live there, it isn't like you could put another coat of paint on the thing and make it better. You can't remodel it. You can't even relocate it. You have to rebuild it from the ground up. You need a whole new foundation. And you came to Christ if you did come to Christ. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you that choice real soon here. And when you came to Christ, he wasn't interested in remodeling your life. You, you don't tell God, look, it, I'm 90% there. All I need is that 10%. God's like, you actually have a very poor appraisal of what the problem is. God's not here to help you. He's here to save you. There's a difference. Help is like going, come on, you can make it. God's here to save you, but he's here to reinvent you. And he goes, if you look at it, your whole house is eaten up. If you look at it, your foundation's wrong. And God will actually bring storms into your life to show you whether or not that foundation's going to hold up or not. It could be the death of someone you love. It could be a situation where there's no money left in the account and bills are due. I mean, it could be some relationship gone totally awry. And then a guy goes, now let me show you your foundation. Sometimes he does that to show you what's good. Sometimes he does it to show you it's weak. But if you're here and say, you know, and that's one of the reasons why if you're saying, look at God, I'm, I'm just interested in, you know, this is who I am. And if you can't accept me for who I am, then you deal with it. Oh, that's nice for you to set your terms on the one who bled and died for you. But you give God the right to reinvent you from the ground up. Or you could listen to Pharaoh and say, just stay in Egypt. And add a little of your religion to it. That's good enough, isn't it? Pharaoh's response, or Moses' response, verse 26, it is not right to do so. My answer to you is it is not right to do so. For we will be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God if we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes. Will he not stone us? And what is he saying? Well, if we're going to sacrifice, what do we have to do? We have to kill a cow. You worship cows. That's not going to work out so well. Here we are in Egypt, killing your God. If we're really going to do what God called us to, we're going to separate so we can actually put to death the things that aren't really God's at all. And I can't expect the world to stand up and applaud that. And they'll look and you know what the sad thing is? Some people who really do care about you will get in your face at moments like that and say, wait a minute, you're walking away from that? Don't you realize? Well, that takes us to the second one. <clears throat> 
And by the way, notice Moses says in verse 27, we will go three days' journey. And here's my question to you, and it's the question I've been asking myself all week. Am I more committed to God's best than Pharaoh is against it? Because one thing's for sure, Pharaoh is committed to not letting these people go. He is committed. My question to you is, are you more committed to getting out than he is to keeping you? Because in the end of it all, these people are going to leave. Praise God, God is more committed than Pharaoh is. And he's also bigger. Now, second volley, verse 28. I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Oh, come on. Do you really have to go three days? Come on, three days? And I think three days. New life is just three days away. Boy, you think God's preparing me for something with that? And this is the one I guarantee you, if you really do as God calls you to, you're going to hear. You may even hear from people who call themselves Christians. And they'll say, you know, I'm okay with you being a Christian, but you're getting a little fanatic. Have you heard that? Some of you are laughing because you've heard it, right? You're a little overboard. Look, if, to be honest, fear doesn't have a problem with you being a quote-unquote Christian until you become a real one. Because a real one is contagious and dangerous. A real one is no longer scared of the enemy and is no longer intimidated by hell. A real one looks at the lost and realizes those are people to save, to reach out to, not people to join. And looks at the saved and says those are people to love and not people to insult. And look at, listen, to, listen, to, listen, this is Pharaoh speaking here. Who doesn't want you gone because you're his servant. Don't go crazy. Don't go that far. Don't go that far with it. Come on. What are people going to say? What are people going to do against you? You could lose your life. You could lose your job. You could die single. You'll never have children. Who's going to marry a lunatic like you? Prayerfully, another lunatic like me. (laughs) Now imagine, imagine if you will, Peter, right? Okay. Imagine that Peter's an Olympic athlete. It's actually not that difficult. Kind of comes and carries himself like an athlete. And Peter, let's say that he's a professional athlete and he's going to actually be part of the world. He's going to, be, he's going to represent England for football, which, by the way, again, European football, not the thing we play in pads. And, and with that, he's, he's good, he's gifted, right? And he starts coming out to the team. And when he comes out to the team, he hangs out with a group of guys that roughly play football, roughly play football, Right? They got, you know, to be honest, they, they wear Adidas, Adidas. That's enough, right? Some have bought the jersey so they can walk, you know. It's like they, but they bought the discount one, so it says Romney instead of Rooney on the back, that kind of thing, you know. So, you know. And with that, you're like, that number, that's, that's not even his number, right? Okay, no. And all that. And he starts working out. He starts getting up early in the morning, and he starts running. And he starts knocking on the doors of his friends, right? And he goes, come on, come on, come on. Are you guys going to jump? And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm training. And they're like, training? Why are you training? because I, I want to play. Well, we're going to play too. That's good. Don't go overboard now, Peter. Don't go overboard. Overboard? I want to be the very best I can be. And so then what happens is all of a sudden there's a group of people and he winds up moving to a different camp. But this is a camp of everyone who wants to be part of the Olympic team. But he's getting up earlier than most of them and he's trying harder and he's working out and he's checking his drills and he's practicing his foot controls and all of the things that he could possibly do. And in all of that, he wants to play the roughest players because he wants to make sure that he knows how the tough, tough the competition is. And there are some people out there going, hey, 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 you're really going overboard. You're going to make me look bad. Don't make me look bad. Peter's like, look at I'm not here to make you look bad. So you need to stop making this about you. This isn't about me. I want to be the best I can be, right? So I'm going to, this is it. I want to play the very best level I can. Then he gets up there, and now there's a group of people, and he actually makes the team. And as he makes the team, there's a couple guys, and they are really gifted. Listen, listen, listen. They're really gifted, but they've been so gifted, they've never really had to try. You know those kind of people? It's like they cough, and they go like this, and the ball goes in. And they're like, I don't know how that happened, right? <laughs> And there are other people like their whole life, they've been working, working, working. This guy's, oh, there's another goal. All right. Yeah. But in the end of it all, they watch this guy and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm going to give it the best I've got. And they're like, but you don't understand. I'm talented. And you know what's interesting? Some of those guys don't make the team in the end. They get cut 
Because you even know they usually put a team together and then they cut. They shave off at those, we would call the red shirts, they shave off the red shirts. So they got the guys they know that aren't just gifted, but guys that are going to give it everything, right? I wonder if God was recruiting such a team for the Olympic sport of seeing him glorified on the planet. And someone's going to look and go, oh man, you're getting up a little early for that quiet time. I don't know about that. You know, we have, I have a quiet time. Like, you know, when things get quiet. <laughs> you're like living in London. How often do things get quiet? You know, when my iPhone breaks and it runs out of battery and, you know, and I'm stuck on, you know, on the end of one of the lines somewhere. And, and the reason I say that is people are going to look at you. And you know, some people that actually, quote unquote, love God, and I'm going to tell you they do or don't. I tell you when they go and look at you, making me look bad. And it's like, well, then you need to get over it. That's not my problem. My goal isn't to make you look bad. My goal is to do the very best I can. And to be honest, not because I'm trying to impress my coach, but because he deserves it. And he get, I mean, Jesus, don't you think, well, Jesus didn't go, I don't know, maybe I'll just give a little bit today. I don't really die on the cross. Maybe there's got to be like some better way to die that's like not painful. I mean, this is God, right? This is God. They could have tied him down and someone could have went to whip him and he could have turned that thing into noodles. Ha, 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 ha. You got pasta paste on my back. He could have. Someone could have hit him and said, tell me who hit you now. And he could have said, your name is Brutus, you're 32, and you've been, well, you wet the bed till you were 11. He could have said that, right? But he didn't. Because he chose, because like a docile lamb that went before the slaughter, he was quiet and justice was removed from him. You know why justice was removed from him? Because the two most rigged trials in, in history, his was the first, where a totally innocent person was given the punishment of a totally, totally guilty man. Second trial, mine, where a totally guilty man gets the blessing of a totally innocent person because of that first trial. And if he had done it any other way, I couldn't have mine. Do you get it? So Pharaoh's asking you now, so what do you think? Stay in Egypt, is that good enough for you? Add a little of your Jesus thing to it? Okay, better not say Jesus, because that's going to offend in Egypt. So you better just say God. God, or you know, and if you really want to be culturally correct, say God, God's, parentheses S, in case you happen to be one of those people. God, God, bugs, whatever, cantaloupe, whatever you pray to. Be with you, like the force. Or... Are you going to say the name of Jesus? That's, by the way, automatically starting to pull you out of Egypt because that three-day journey is going to take you to the cross. Hey, look, don't go crazy. Can I say this? As a pastor, one of the joys I get is actually giving permission to do what's right. Not that I need to be the one granting permission. Sometimes it's just nice to hear someone say, do it. Go crazy. Now, I don't mean be mental. Don't, like, grab a gun and start shooting people because if you want them saved, it's harder to pray for someone that's dead. But, you know. But be crazy in the way that they look at and go, oh, come on, wait a minute. You're actually going to live by the faith you proclaim because see the world out there, believe it or not, is looking for people who live that kind of Goshen life enough. So when someone gets on your face and says, do you really believe that? And they actually, to be honest, I've learned this from experience. Most of the time, they're actually really wanting you to say, yeah, yes, I do. Because strangely enough, even the biggest guys turn into the biggest wusses in front of someone that could be four feet tall that looks at me and goes, do you really believe that? And you're like, yes, I do. And God makes a brand new person. I was raised violent. Do you want me to show you who I was? Aren't you thankful that though I was born that way, that God changed me into somebody else? He reinvented me. He didn't remodel. He didn't relocate. He reinvented. And to reinvent, he isn't going to reinvent in Egypt. In Philippians, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, the crazy thing is like, well, I've never really been there. But you know, there are times where I feel like I've gotten a taste of it. You know, we confess, we're just pilgrims passing through this place. And when we check out, it's done. You're not going to be able to come back and get your stuff. And when that time comes, you're going to go, I should have lived more in Goshen where I belong. And then followed him out to where he really had for me. But beloved, my challenge for you right now is, are you going to live the Goshen life? Or are you just going to kind of live the life that's like a little bit of Jesus, unless it offends? Jesus said, blessed is he was not offended by me. Well, how are you going to know who's not offended by him until you actually mention the name? You'll say, okay, well, you're obviously not blessed because you're really offended, but you're blessed right now. I mean, and the, the reason I say that is that the Lord has called us to something Olympic. He's called us, you know what, for some of you, if you're anything like me, I was fanatic before I was saved. 
I was full on, full throttle pedal to the metal before I knew Jesus. Now, why would I mellow out now when I could be used for evil in such a, you know, with all of my passion? Why in the world would I try to, to become subtle and nuancey now that I'm saved? Man, you need to know about Jesus. And I pray that for you and for me, that we would be full on because Jesus isn't here to just give us a little better life here. He's here to take us out. And if that's the case, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Now, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because what happens at the end? Notice he says, well, just don't go that far. And Moses goes, okay, well, I'll, I'll go pray for you. It's almost like Moses bites. But then at the end of it, a strange word considering the flies. But uh, in, in all of that, uh, get the idea that he's going to go and pray and then God's going to let the guy's heart get hardened again so that he doesn't have time to actually, he's like, I'm not going to let you go. It's like God even allowed Pharaoh not to let them compromise in this case. And that's good news. Look at your relationships, what you do with your money, what you do with your dreams. But wait a minute. Let's close with this. Kifra. That was that God, remember? That was about ambition. Who you're going to be. What you'll evolve out of. And what you'll blossom into. Can you see why God says, look at, I'm going to draw a line now. Because the line is, let me tell you what my people want to be. They want to be more like me. That's what God's people want to be. The rest of the world out there has no interest in becoming more like Jesus. The sad thing is there's a good portion of the body of Christ that has little interest in becoming more like Jesus either. They'd really just like to live in Egypt and get God to do his, their stuff. But somehow Jesus taught me and you to pray, your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. I think, wow, that's, that's a really radical thought. When Jesus asked that same thing, when he said, not my will, yours be done, that was the cross for Jesus. And then he said, you really want to call yourself my disciple? You're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me daily. Now, which one of us likes that? But that's a requirement. And if you're going to pick up your cross, it's going to look ridiculous in Egypt. You better have a place that you can call Goshen, friends. And as we pray, I want to pray for every believer in here, myself included, that God will give us the spine that is necessary to stand up and be the person He's called us to full on. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be awesome if you said yes to Jesus today? And in saying yes to Jesus today, you could be a full-on person that challenges other people to it? Look, at if you think that it, the ember is cool as you get older in Christ, you've been lied to. My prayer is if the Lord tarries for another 20 years and we all stay and however this works with the Lord and, you know, it's like, and as we grow, if you want to stay here as we are planning to stay here, my prayer is you would see somebody more fanatically in love with Jesus 20 years from now than you do now. And I pray that you can't even imagine that. So when it happens, you're like, wow, it really did happen. Because the bottom line is, the more I know him, how can I not love him more? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much. Can I just say, by the way, Lord, thank you that, that I'm not living in a place with a bunch of flies like this. And I think how funny it would be, Lord, that it wasn't just that long ago that these same people were wanting frogs out of their life. And I think at this moment, they would really miss the frogs. They would have loved those frogs to eat up all those flies. But Lord God, I pray first of all for every believer in here, myself included, that you open our eyes. You open our eyes to how we can honestly see people getting eaten bit by bit, that their lives are just decaying to little nothingness. And each day a little less of them exists. And for many of us, all we have to do is look back at our own past to remember that. But God, we do not want to be those people. Here you are seeking to make us different and we confess to you that there's a part of us that desperately wants to fit in. And I recognize you gave us that appetite so we could have a healthy fellowship where we could enjoy each other. Where we could actually challenge each other to walk with you with everything we've got. But Lord, for that to happen, Lord, I pray that you would give us a distaste for the world. Even as some of these images have been graphic enough that it's been rough to think about, Lord. 
And yet in that, Lord, I pray we would look at the world the same way. When we see somebody lying on their own, sick, and a girl walking over to the clinic because she's not sure what she has or doesn't have or whatever, that those things would remind us, God, that that's a world that's outside of Goshen. When we see somebody going to prison for years because of the way that they've handled their finances in such a way that everything's been cheating and under the table and and wicked and, and not on the level. And here we are with the challenge sometimes to really be honest. But Lord, in being honest, we trust it's your job to provide and take care of and we commit that to you. But Lord, in all of that, I pray you give us a spine. The kind of spine, Lord, that stands up when other people get in our face and say, do you really believe that? And that we would honestly stare him back in the face and say, absolutely, I do. But for that to happen, we need to resolve in our hearts today whether we really want to believe you like that before we have to try to figure that out there. So Lord, I just pray for overboard, fanatic, full-on spirits in us, God, that would, for everything we have, love you with all, not some, but all of our hearts and to love you with all of our minds and to love you with all of our strength and to love you with all of our souls and our spirits, to love you with everything we are because that's what you deserve. Because you've loved us with all that. And Lord, right now, by the power of your spirit speaking to human beings in this room right now, myself included, Minister. And if you're not sure whether you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or if you're sure you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer. And the prayer is quite simple. It's a prayer confessing my need, confessing Jesus is the answer, and declaring that I accept his gift. And if you agree, at the end of this prayer, I'll give you an opportunity simply to say, Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words, so be it in my life. You will be accepting the gift of Jesus Christ right now. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm not perfect. I've done wrong, and in that, that makes me guilty. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all guilt. But you love me. And in your divine wisdom, chose to send your son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the price for all of my wickedness, every wicked thought, every wicked intention, every evil action, every evil word. It's all been paid. And in doing so, you're not here looking to redecorate me, make me just a nicer person. You're not into removal. You're into deliverance. And in that, God, you want to deliver me out of this world that I've lived in, out of this guilty state to a place now where I'm adopted by you, Father, where I made a new creation according to Second Corinthians, where I am now lavished in your love, engulfed in your grace, and made new. So with that, I say yes. I say yes to the gift of Jesus who died on that cross according to Scripture, was buried and rose again three days just like your Scripture promised. I accept the gift of Jesus letting him pay for all of my sins and my wrong. But as he is risen again now, I confess him as my Lord as well, that now I choose to serve you. And in doing so, reinvent me to that which brings you greatest pleasure and makes me the greatest blessing. So I'm I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Saints, thank you. Thank you for the honor that it is to open up the word with you, the privilege it is to share it. I ask you to read ahead. We've got more fun plagues to go through, huh? Some of you are like, I'm not too sure I'm ready for this. Oh, the next one's going to be lots of fun. Um, take a moment, if you would, and just ask the Lord to, to really show your heart where... He wants to, how he wants to make you full on.